0: This is Dr. Marty Freed,
1: Dr. Shreya Trivedi,
0: Dr. Dan Sartori. This is the Core I Am Five Pearls podcast brought to you by Clinical Correlations,
1: bringing you high yield evidence-based pearls.
0: Today we are talking about contrast-induced nephropathy.
1: A big thank you to Dr. Josh Varkas, an assistant professor of pulmonary and critical care at the University of Vermont and creator of the Pulm Crip blog.
2: We did our best here with a topic that honestly
0: is an absolute quagmire. We've discussed this topic with several subspecialties, from nephrology to crit care to cardiology, and we've tried hard to crystallize the key points into what is a pretty nebulous topic. It's very clear to us that thoughtful people from multiple disciplines work really hard to reduce the burden of this
2: disease. And from taking a deeper dive into CIN, we feel that a strong hold of its
0: key elements can really be practice-changing. All right, let's get started with the five questions on the pearls we'll be covering. Test yourself by pausing after each of the five questions.
1: Remember, the more you test yourself, the deeper your learning gains.
0: Question 1. Diagnostic Criteria.
1: Are there diagnostic criteria for contrast-induced nephropathy, what we'll be referring to as CIN for the rest of this podcast?
0: Question 2. Intravenous versus intraarterial contrast.
1: Is there a difference between exposure to intraarterial versus intravenous contrast in terms of risk of CIN?
0: Question three risk factors.
1: What are the biggest risk factors for developing CIN? When do we really have to worry about sending a patient for a contrast enhanced study?
0: Question four prevention.
1: What preventive measures have been shown? to be the best to reduce risk of CIN.
0: And question five, CIN in end-stage renal disease.
1: Can end-stage renal disease patients on hemodialysis still suffer from contrast nephropathy?
0: All right, guys, the definition of CIN has always been a little tough for me to wrap my head around. You send a super sick patient down for a contrast study on day one of their hospital stay, and the next day or the day after, you see a creatinine bump.
1: Right, and everyone is up in arms. That contrast is the bad guy. But is it really the contrast, or was it that buttload of Venk and we just gave them? Or were the kidneys vulnerable to begin with? You know, what gives?
0: Right, so are there any slam-dunk diagnostic criteria for CIN? I hate to be the bearer of bad
2: news here, guys, but the quick answer is no. And as much as I want to chat about the Whipple's Triad or the Reynolds Pentad of CIN, it just doesn't exist. We still rely on some pretty subjective clinical findings to make the diagnosis. Ugh, such a bummer.
0: Okay, so what are the formal ways of defining it?
2: Well, CIN has been defined for research purposes, but there are no guideline-based diagnostic criteria, no diagnostic lab, imaging, or even biopsy findings specific enough to make this diagnosis.
1: Okay, then let's get everyone on the same page and review what those research studies usually define CIN as.
2: So it's typically defined as a relative increase in serum creatinine of at least 25% within two to three days after exposure to contrast. Okay,
0: so we're talking a slight bump anywhere from two to three days after contrast. I just don't love that. You know, listen, a jump from 1 to 1.3 satisfies this criteria. And I also just can't stand how not patient-centered that is, right? Like 1 to 1.3 hardly commits someone to dialysis. It doesn't cause meaningful clinical injury.
1: Right. And I love how you're thinking about the patient-centered outcomes there. My assumption is that the vague definition of contrast nephropathy probably reflects the vague understanding of the pathophys of it. No one really for sure knows how contrast leads to acute kidney injury, but there are some leading contenders.
2: Exactly, Shreya. So there are a bunch of possible explanations, things like hemodynamic changes in the renal vasculature, you know,
0: endothelial dysfunction, free radical damage. I I wish our audience could see Danny right now. He is literally waving his hands. Why don't we just add those other always right, never wrong buzzwords like cytokines, microbiome? What about lupus? We can usually blame lupus for the unexplained.
1: No, not lupus.
0: <laughs> well,
2: the best data, which, mind you, are all from animal models. They suggest that the strongest elements of CIN are from hypoxic and cytotoxic ATN, that is acute tubular necrosis. So we can look for signs of ATN to help at least support a diagnosis of CIN.
1: Okay, so muddy brown gas.
2: Yep, and that fractional excretion of sodium less than 1.
1: Wait, 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 wait a minute. Hold up. FENa less than 1 indicates pre-renal states, not ATN, right? This is med school 101 here.
0: Right. So, if we're thinking that CIN has a similar pathophys to ATN, why are you telling me that CIN has a FENA of less than one? Everyone knows intrarenal etiologies of AKI have a FENA of greater than one. This is dogma. Duh. Dogma be damned. Believe it or not, <laughs> FENA is.
2: <laughs> believe it or not, FINA is very consistently less than one in patients with CIN. In one of the few high-quality RCTs measuring CIN, the average FINA was really low. It was like 0.3 to 0.7. For real? For real. And in some small studies, the sensitivity of FINA less than 1 in patients with CIN, it was almost
0: 100%. All right. As I suspected, FINA of less than 1 is not phenomenal at diagnosing pre-renal states alone. (laughs) What a dork. (laughs) All right. So what I'm taking away from this first pearl is that there are no strict guideline-based criteria to diagnose CIN. However, an acute rise in creatinine within 48 to 72 hours of after contrast exposure with the exclusion of other causes of acute kidney injury is typically sufficient for the diagnosis of contrast-induced nephropathy.
1: So let's say we have a patient that comes back from cardiac cath. Couple days later, develops AKI. UA shows some muddy brown casts. The FENA is less than one. My diagnostic antenna for contrast nephropathy is pretty high.
0: Right. But what if this patient had gone for a CT abdomen with IV contrast? I mean, I guess my question here is does the type of study matter?
1: Ah, that's a great question, right? Should we think differently if the test is a CT of the belly with intravenous contrast? versus a cardiac cath with intraarterial contrast?
2: Short answer here, guys, yes. We should definitely think differently about CIN after an arterial versus a venous contrast study. There's a huge distinction between the two. This is because most data suggests that CIN is a disease almost entirely reserved for intraarterial contrast loads, not intravenous contrast loads.
1: What okay, this is mind blowing. Honestly I never really thought of contrast nephropathy differently based on if the contrast was going through a vein versus an artery.
2: Well, let's trace out the contrast map for an intravenous study. So the path is from an IV in the patient's arm all the way back to the right heart, throughout the pulmonary vasculature, and then finally to the left heart before heading
0: out toward the kidneys. All right, I'm picking up what you're putting down. There's just a lot of plumbing between that peripheral IV and then the kidneys basically an entire trip around the circulatory system. It's had plenty of time to be diluted and lessen its potential cytotoxic effects by the time it reaches the kidney.
1: Right. And if we contrast that to an arterial study, see what I did there? See what I did there? So in a cardiac cath, we directly access the arterial system, often shoot some contrast into the LV itself, and then shoot some contrast into the coronary arteries, which drains into the coronary sinus, and then directly back into the right atrium.
0: So in this arterial study, we're shortening the circulation time of contrast before it reaches the kidneys. So the kidneys likely see a higher concentration of contrast. It's just like Monopoly. Go directly to kidneys. Do not pass go. Do not maximally dilute your nephrotoxic contrast. (laughs) Right. Obviously, we should also mention here that there are other
2: differences between arterial and venous contrast studies that are just harder to control for. So things like the volume of the contrast used, the type of the contrast used, and the fact that when we access arterial circulation, we run the risk of dislodging atherosclerotic plaques. And these can potentially embolize toward the kidney.
0: Again, I'm buying. All this is to say that there's a lot of reasons arterial contrast studies might be more dangerous for the kidneys.
1: All right. So now that we have our vessel maps straight, let's get down to the numbers. What is a risk of contrast nephropathy after an arterial versus a venous contrast study?
2: So the incidence of CIN after arterial contrast ranges anywhere from about 5 to 30%, depending on the other risk factors present in the patient. And intravenous contrast? These are much lower, in the ballpark of like 2 to 10%.
0: Okay. So case closed, right? Arterial bad. Venus good. Let's go get some shawarma. I'm so hungry for knowledge. I've been craving some good shawarma recently.
1: Is that an Avengers reference? That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, hold your horses a little bit. Let's be a little bit more Olivia Pope here and a little less Salino and Barnes and talk about the quality of these studies.
0: I kind of wonder how widely available that reference is. If you're a listener outside of the US and understood those references, let us know, and Shreya will like retweet you or yeah, something. Yeah, Twitter. Okay. <laughs> Let's start looking with studies at intra-arterial contrast. Do we think good, bad, or meh? Estimates
2: of CIN following intra-arterial contrast are just so difficult to interpret. These studies are just plagued by the fact that they're almost always retrospective, and they almost never include a control
0: group. Right. Yeah, I guess a control group would necessitate a sham left heart cath. That kind of seems tough to get through your local IRB. Ooh. All right, so without good control, I guess it's always possible that the AKI we see following procedural arterial contrast is not really due to the contrast, but it's attributable to another factor.
1: Yeah, like a hypotensive patient, peri-shock, undergoing a cardiac cath for an acute MI.
0: Or the showering of atherosclerotic emboli to the kidneys every time we access the arterial system. Exactly.
2: And these retrospective studies are also just a great setup for selection bias.
1: Tell me more.
2: Well, for example, how do we account for the fact that a patient undergoing an arterial contrast procedure like a cardiac cath for a STEMI is just a sicker patient with more vulnerable kidneys than a patient undergoing a surveillance contrast belly CT for like an adrenal incidentaloma?
1: Right. So the STEMI for sure is at a higher risk of AKI post-contrast. So we aren't really comparing apples to apples here if we're trying to compare arterial versus venous contrast.
2: Despite all of the limitations that we're talking about here, based on animal studies and some additional data that we're going to get to a little later, the experts in the field still believe that CIN after an arterial contrast study is a real thing.
0: All right, let's pivot here and talk about studies regarding intravenous contrast. Do we feel better about them? I still want shawarma. Still so hungry.
1: (laughs) More knowledge to come.
2: (laughs) Well, estimates of CIN after intravenous contrast studies are also almost always from retrospective studies.
1: Uh Uh-oh, selection bias seems to be rearing its ugly head again.
2: Yes, but these studies can be controlled, right? So we can just compare patients who were exposed to intravenous contrast to patients who underwent
0: non-con studies. You know, Danny, I've heard this argument before, and it's always a bit sketchy to me. The decision to give contrast is for a clinical reason, which makes me think that the patients getting contrast are different and probably a sicker bunch.
1: Or if the non-contrast group underwent non-con studies because their kidneys were already on the rocks to begin with.
2: You're absolutely right to be wary of these studies, guys. But for now, unfortunately, they are just the best that we
1: have. Okay, okay, fine, fine. So tell us what Olivia Pope would say for these quote-unquote controlled intravenous contrast studies.
0: Like I always say, WWOPD. (laughs)
1: do you mean what would olivia pope do
0: that's
2: right Nice, (laughs) marty you know sometimes i just don't know yeah if we were to take a deeper dive and really investigate these studies we would find that they almost completely exonerate intravenous contrast from being responsible for post-contrast aki
0: wait so cin from venous contrast might just be a myth did we just totally olivia pope that one
1: all right let's jump into the recent studies that support cin in venous contrast as possibly a myth.
2: Yeah, so there was a recent pretty large meta-analysis on CIN following IV contrast in the Annals of Emergency Medicine.
1: Yeah, it was huge. About 100,000 patients undergoing contrast-enhanced CT scans compared to non-contrast CT scans.
2: And there was no increased rate of CIN, nor was there increased rates of progression to end-stage renal disease or mortality.
1: Any other studies?
2: Well, there were two pretty high-quality retrospective studies in radiology over the past few years. And I just want to give a shout-out to these studies. They worked especially hard to isolate the effect of IV contrast on AKI. And they did this using some pretty fancy techniques like propensity matching and counterfactual analysis. Counterfactual analysis. This has to be good. They were pretty good. Despite the limitations of retrospective studies like we've been talking about, these pretty convincingly showed no difference in the development of CIN the need for eventual dialysis, nor mortality in patients undergoing IV contrast versus non-contrast studies.
1: What's more is that these studies held true even after stratifying for those traditional risk factors for CIN, such as CKD, diabetes, heart failure, factors that we're going to talk about in the next section.
2: Okay, so to sum up this section, despite limited clear-cut causal data, exposure to intraarterial contrast very likely poses a real risk of CIN, while intravenous contrast causing CIN is just a bigger question mark.
1: So let's get back to that patient in the cath lab. We know now to be a little bit worried about him developing CIN since he's going through an intra-arterial study. But we send people down to the cath lab all the time. What are the risk factors that should make us worry a little bit more? So
0: I think the real elephant in the cath lab here is chronic (laughs) kidney disease, right? (laughs) So the, the GFR really gets the spotlight here in terms of a risk factor that might hold up a cath or other arterial contrast studies. For sure,
2: Marty. There's just no disagreement that patients with underlying CKD are definitely at increased risk of developing CIN, and the risk is actually thought to increase with the degree of baseline renal dysfunction.
1: But can we pin down the actual level of kidney dysfunction that should make us hesitate before sending someone in the first place? Like, is there an inflection point on the graph of GFR versus the risk of contrast nephropathy?
2: Well, unfortunately, pinpointing that risky GFR, it's just really difficult. A lot of this is because most of the studies just lump patients into buckets with like baseline GFR 30 to 60, baseline GFR 30 and below.
0: Right. And that makes sense. Our resolution to define risk based on GFR seems pretty low. So despite this, what do we know about the risk of CIN in patients with CKD?
2: In patients undergoing studies with arterial contrast, about 5% with patients GFR 30 to 60 will develop CIN.
1: And what about those patients with a GFR less than 30?
2: Almost
0: 30% of these patients will develop CIN. Wow. I I wonder if there's any difference based on the cause of the CKD.
1: Thank you for the setup there, Marty. I know for a fact that patients with proteinuric CKD are even at more risk.
2: Exactly. So in patients with GFR less than 60, those who also had about a gram of proteinuria, they experienced double the rate of CIN compared with those with less than one gram of proteinuria.
0: Wow. Okay. Proteinuria is a risk factor. Check. Any other big risk factors for CIN?
1: Oh, what about the diabetes? The diabetes has got to be in there.
2: Yeah, it definitely is. Strong data come from an oldie but goodie prospective study that looked at the rates of CIN in patients with or without diabetes and CKD. Patients with diabetes coupled with CKD demonstrated almost triple the rate of CIN
0: compared to those with CKD alone. Okay, so we really should factor in diabetes itself into our risk calculation before setting that patient down. Any other strong risk factors we should think about?
1: About the volume status. I always remember CARDS wanting me to put these patients on standing fluids prior to cats, and then they always leave it to me to remember to DC it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, thanks for pointing that out, Shreya. Hypovolemia is definitely another big risk factor. But since we all know how difficult it is to measure a patient's volume status, there are really no studies that look specifically at rates of CIN in those hypovolemic versus euvolemic patients.
1: Then why are the cardiologists so gung-ho about hydrating these cath patients?
2: Well, because there actually is good data on prophylactic hydration as being beneficial to reduce rates of CIN.
0: Alright, so we've talked about CKD, diabetes, and hypovolemia. These are all patient risk factors. What about the procedure itself? Are there certain risk factors within our control that we can minimize? Yes, there are.
2: So one is the type of contrast. For example, a high osmolality contrast as opposed to an isoosmotic or even a hypoosmotic contrast agent.
1: What? I have never actually been the one determining the type of contrast my patients get. I just put in the study order and I have no control over this.
0: Yeah, you know, this was something I found really interesting when I spoke with some of the cath guys. They have a remarkable amount of control over the amount of contrast used, especially in cases where they are worried about CIN. After speaking with one of our cath docs, I was so impressed with his ability to use a tiny amount of contrast if the situation calls for it.
2: That's definitely true regarding volume of contrast. And regarding type of contrast, I think it's also worth noting that older contrast agents were almost always hyperosmolar, and these were associated with much higher rates of CIN. The newer kids on the block are almost always either isoosmolar or hypoosmolar, and these are associated with much lower rates of CIN.
1: This is all great information. So it sounds like we need to partner with our cardiologists with the amount of contrast that's given. And then with our radiologist and our pharmacist, with the type of contrast that's given.
0: Right. So to sum up, the most important risk factors for developing CAN include those specific to the patients themselves. Here, we're talking about CKD with a dose-dependent increase in risk with declining GFR, diabetes, and proteinuria. And then those risk factors specific to the contrast itself, namely the volume and the osmolality used.
1: Okay, guys. I'm a little bummed out here. All we've been doing is talking negatives. Patient risk factors, procedural risk factors, crapping on some papers, enough. What can we offer our patients to protect against all the badness that can come from arterial contrast?
0: Point taken. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about renal wellness. What are the evidence-based means of prophylaxis against CIN? All
1: right, so we mentioned IV hydration earlier. And this is one that sticks for me from med school. Let's talk about some database details.
2: You bet we can. There's actually several small RCTs looking at fluid administration as a means of preventing CIN in patients undergoing arterial contrast, mostly caths for MIs. These studies generally show that 24 hours of isotonic fluid does indeed reduce the risk of CIN compared to patients who did not receive it.
0: All right. So it seems clear-cut enough. Fluid is good for prevention of CIN. I'm not letting go of that (laughs) shawarma. Well, unfortunately, it's a little more complicated than that because just like a
2: dirty UA, this is still a pretty cloudy issue. (laughs) Nice. Tell me more, Danny. Well, for one, there's a lot of conflicting data out there. Just last year, there was a big, well-designed RCT from the Netherlands, and it showed that prophylactic hydration before contrast studies had no beneficial effect on CIN prevention.
1: Right. And that held true for patients with high-risk features as well that we've been talking about, like the ones with diabetes and CKD.
2: And secondly, all these studies used a blanket approach and gave patients fluids kind of willy-nilly, regardless of their actual fluid status. Some patients might be hypotensive and they might really benefit from these fluids. Others might be just fine and not clinically need any more
0: fluid.
1: Hey, does anyone have Greek mythology going through their brain right now? Because I have the Poseidon trials swimming <laughs> through my mind right now. Very right, true. Right. <laughs> All right. So this was a very cool study that actually tailored the amount of fluid administration to the patient's left ventricular and diastolic pressure, both prior to and during the cardiac cath. And the results of the study showed a pretty striking reduction in the risk of contrast nephropathy when this quote-unquote sliding scale approach to fluids was used compared to standard fluids.
2: Yeah, this was a really, really cool study design. So during the cath, cardiologists measured intracardiac pressures in real time, and they gave a specified volume of fluid depending on what the LVEDP was, idea being that tailoring fluid administration to cardiac output was the best means of protecting the kidneys.
0: Yeah, I just think that's so cool. I think the Poseidon trial has been one of the sweeter physiologic studies I've read in a long time. All right, Danny, can you pour out an ice cold glass of bottom line for us now? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so bottom line here, interpret this as you
2: may, but recommendations still almost universally suggest to prophylactically hydrate patients with about one mil per kg per hour of isotonic saline for about 12 hours before, during, and after an arterial contrast study.
0: All right, what about other preventative agents?
2: There's some thought that sodium bicarb and N-acetylcysteine, better known as NAC, can be
0: beneficial because these can both
2: actually reduce free radical generation in the renal tubules.
0: NAC? NAC is pretty much reserved for my patients with acetaminophen overdose. This sounds a little out of left field for CIN. Does it actually work? Not
2: surprisingly, lots of conflicting data here. But bottom line here, sodium bicarb is non-inferior to saline. And NAC, it's no better than placebo.
1: All right. So then to sum up here, intravenous isotonic crystalloid administration before, during, and for several hours after intraarterial contrast studies is still the best studied and most efficacious in terms of preventing CIN. All right. Let's revisit that patient down in the cath lab one more time. Change things up here though. Say he has end-stage renal disease and on hemodialysis, but... He still makes some urine. Should we still worry about the contrast being detrimental? Or are we over it? You know, he's already on dialysis.
0: Yeah, I gotta say here, my gut is telling me that since he's already on dialysis, we probably aren't worried about the kidneys anymore, right? As long as he can handle the extra volume that comes with the calf, probably are good to go. It's actually a little bit trickier
2: than that. Just like a dirty U. Oh, I already used that joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the,
2: the, fact that, the fact that this patient still makes some urine means that he has some functioning nephrons in there.
0: All right, fine. But honestly, why does that matter, right? Having a few strugglers left doesn't change the fact that we're probably going to dialyze him for the rest of his life, right? Well, actually,
2: having some residual nephron function left has a couple beneficial effects. So one, it still allows for filtration of those nasty uremic toxins. Two, it still allows for some degree of volume on electrolyte regulation. And three, and most importantly, it's associated with a survival benefit. A survival benefit? Yeah. There have actually been prospective studies of patients on both peritoneal and hemodialysis that show that even after controlling for tons of other risk factors, residual renal function is protective against death.
1: All right. So since CKD is one of the biggest risk factors for contrast-induced nephropathy, and patients with end-stage renal disease are the ultimate CKD patients, then do we assume that these patients with some residual kidney functions are still at risk for CIN?
2: Hypothetically, yes, but the data is just not robust enough for formal recommendations. Currently, the ACR, the American College of Radiology, describes this as a theoretical risk.
1: Okay, to sum up, despite limited hard data, end-stage renal disease patients on hemodialysis who still have residual renal function, should probably be treated just as other patients with CKD when it comes to arterial contrast loads. And this will be important to preserve the beneficial effects of that remaining functional nephron mass. And with that, I'd like to introduce Dr. Josh Farkas for the recap.
3: All right, clinical pearls. So first, what are the diagnostic criteria for contrast-induced nephropathy? This is a morass. Different studies use different criteria, and most of the criteria used are not clinically relevant. So some studies are going to overestimate rates of contrast induced in the propthy, and it may sound really scary when in fact there's a little c- clinical impact. Clinical Pearl 2, there's a huge difference probably between intraarterial versus intravenous contrast exposure. Recent evidence raises a question about whether or not Contrast-induced nephropathy even exists following intravenous contrast exposure, such as CAT scans, whereas intraarterial contrast, mostly with cardiac catheterization, does seem to probably cause contrast-induced nephropathy. Perl 3, what are the biggest risk factors for contrast-induced nephropathy? For intravenous administration, we probably don't need to worry about it too much. So if the patient needs a CAT scan, just go ahead and get it. I wouldn't worry about it. If, if it's going to affect your management. Whereas for intraarterial cath- dye administration, for cardiac catheterization, you do need to worry if the patient has preexisting renal failure. Clinical PERL4, what preventative measures have been shown to work? And once again, for intravenous contrast administration, you probably don't need to worry about this too much. Whereas for intraarterial administration, you want to try to get the patient to a state of euvolemia and avoid any intercart nephrotoxins. PERL5, ESRD patients on hemodialysis can still suffer from contrast-induced nephropathy if they are continuing to produce some urine.
1: All right, that was an excellent recap. Thank you so much.
3: All
0: right, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, please email us at coreimpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at at coreimpodcast. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at coreimpodcast.
1: Opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of NYU or other affiliated institutions. Do not use this podcast for medical advice. Instead, see your own healthcare provider for medical care. All right. Thanks for joining us.
0: See you guys next Wednesday.
1: Take care.